Well, last time we studied 1 Peter, it was verses 13 to 16, and that was what started the second half of the letter, you could say. Now, I half in air quotes because, of course, there's five chapters and this is just chapter two. But uh, Peter had spent the first chapter and then all the way through verse 12 in chapter two talking about the identity of his audience, building them up in Christ. And then now he's getting into instructions for living starting in chapter 13. We saw last time we met, if you just run your eyes over 13 to 16, this idea of submitting for the Lord's sake to every human institution, namely governments, and what that looks like to submit to governments. Uh, Of course, that's very applicable no matter where you are, what time you're living in. Uh, It's it's a very uh, timely message no matter the context. And now we're getting into a slave and master relationship You can peek at chapter 3. You'll see here in a couple weeks we're going to be talking about husband and wife relationships. I'll have to make sure my wife's in the nursery for that lesson. Uh, And and then he's going to get into more application uh, in the local church and other places. So it's very instructive now from this point forward in the letter. But let's recap just a tad. These aren't hard questions, uh, but let's just get our minds in the right spot as we think about what this letter is. First question, okay, this is, this is how groundbreaking these questions are. Who was Peter? <laughs> okay. Okay, all right. Uh, yes, yeah, Cephas is his name, and Jesus gave him the, rock, the name The Rock, yeah. Okay, he was an apostle, very good. So he was one of the disciples who walked with Christ, and of course, in the book of Acts, Peter played a prominent role in the first half of the book, uh, kind of fades away after that. But yeah, Peter's very prominent in the New Testament, an apostle. Um, ooh, now you're quizzing me. You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> uh, let me think for a second. Hey, Google? Uh, no. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's good. Yeah, he may have been at the very beginning at Peter and Andrew. Maybe. I'll have to look that up. That's a good question. Um, I don't know. But it does seem that there's hardly a moment from the book of Matthew into that mid part of Acts where Peter's just not there, right? He's just there in the first five books of the Bible. So... Uh, Peter, an apostle, used by God in the book of Acts, of course, to really be effective among what people group? The Jews. Yeah, right. Yes. Peter, James, and John. Yeah. Yeah, and there's so much more we could say about Peter, uh, but that's good enough, okay? Now, the second question is, who was Peter's audience in the book of 1 Peter? Who was Peter's audience? You guys remember this. The aliens. He was writing to aliens. (laughs) Yes. People who... Okay. Yeah. People who were persecuted, now they've been scattered in Asia Minor. So they endured persecution. They fled their homes. And now they are alien sojourners. They are um, not where they uh, would want to be, that they've been displaced through persecution. Okay. How has Peter, so far in this letter, how has Peter described their identity? So totally look back over the first chapter, see, have some verses pop out at you. How is he describing them, his recipients of the letter? Okay, they're chosen, very good, chosen. There are several terms that are used, so there aren't a lot of uh, wrong answers here. You could find several right answers. Okay, pilgrims, good. 
Okay, yes, they are scattered. The yes, twice in the chap- first chapter, he mentions that they've been born. They've been born again. So just like Jimmy Carter, they're born-again believers. <laughs> Let's get off that topic as soon as possible. <laughs> okay, good. Chapter 9, you can get, or verse 9, rather, of chapter 2, you can get several terms. What, are, what do you find there? Mm-hmm. They're all. Yeah, holy nation, God's own possession, good. Elect exiles, yeah, so that word for exiles, well, the word for elect could be chosen or elect, depending on the translation, and the word for exiles could say aliens, sojourners, or exiles, yeah, so we've got a lot of synonyms. What about chapter 2, verse 5? Mm-hmm, and what else in that verse? A holy priesthood, yes. Very important, very, very important. And for whatever reason... Oh, wait, I just found it. Okay. Chapter 1, the last one, last one I want you to see. Chapter 1, verse 14, obedient children. That's another one. And you can see in the rest of this letter, he talks to them as though they are obedient children of God. He's giving them instructions, God's instructions, uh, since God is their Father. They've been born again of God. And so now, as obedient children, this is how you are to live. And then um, the fourth question, and again, there are lots of right answers for this. What is Peter now encouraging his readers to do? As we started looking last week in verse 13, what is Peter now encouraging his readers to do in this second half of the letter? Okay, live as free men, but how are they to use their freedom? There you go, yeah. And it's really those two elements. You've been born again You've been set free. Live as free men, but in obedience to God. Not to use your freedom as a covering for sin or as a vice for evil, but to use it in submission to God's plan for your life. And so today we're looking specifically at the slave and master relationship and the big ideas that slaves are to submit to masters while maintaining their commitment to holiness. Okay? They are to live as free men, but be subject to their masters. Isn't that amazing? You see that in verse uh, 16, live as people who are free. Verse 18, slaves, submit to your masters. (laughs) How do we make sense of this? Well, it's just one of the many beautiful paradoxes of Scripture, and it's it's almost always both and, okay? When you end up in a quagmire with Scripture, a lot of times it's not either or, it's both and. And so, are they free or are they slaves? Yes. Both spiritually and literally, yes, it's, it's really both in both realms, all right? So that's what we're going to be looking at today. But before we get into that in verse 18, let's look at verse 17. This is a summary statement regarding Christians and authority. Let's have someone else read that, just that one verse, verse 17. Someone read it. All right, so what you see here are four different relationships with three different words. Honor is used twice. But the first thing that comes up is honor everyone or honor all people. Now, that's an interesting statement to make. Um, what do you think Peter has in mind as he admonishes them to honor everybody? What could that mean? Good. Yeah, respect is a great word there. Show respect to all people. And really, this is without prejudice, isn't it? Because <laughs> the gospel 
knowing the gospel, coming to know God through the gospel, having the gospel implanted in your heart, knowing the definition of love from the gospel, there is just zero room for any type of prejudice. There's zero room for any type of ethnic priority or competition. It's really all people. We know that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. There's no discrimination of peoples. He died for all peoples. So show respect to all without prejudice and seek to live at peace with all people. Where's, where do you see that in Scripture? What Scripture says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men, not Hebrews. One of those other monumental New Testament books, though, Romans. Romans 12, okay? There's a great, uh, like, paragraph or two. I don't know what it is in the Greek. Knowing Paul, it's probably just one paragraph. Uh, The end of chapter 12, just so many great things about don't return evil for evil, but return good. And um, if your enemy, you know, if you have an enemy, give him something to drink, and that'll heap burning coals on his head. You know, it's that whole passage there. And he says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. I think that's what's at the heart of this. Honor everybody respect them. They are image bearers of God, aren't they? So even though they're lost, just as you were, and even though the Scriptures say they are enemies of God, uh, we are not like uh, militant Muslims who practice jihad, right? We don't go kill the infidels. That's not the Christian's commission. The Christian's commission is honor everybody. Right. Yes. Good. Yeah. It is, yeah, when you think of what Judaism looked like in the first century, um, because undoubtedly many of these believers had a Jewish background, and so here he is writing to them and saying, don't think like that anymore. And even Peter himself, what was the incident that Paul called him out on? Paul recounts the story in Galatians 2. What was Peter doing that Paul uh, confronted him to his face, it says in the Scriptures? Yeah, here he was hanging out with all the pagans and the Gentiles and the Jews come around, whoop, yes, those are bad men. You know, that's, that's what he was doing. And then Paul confronts him to his face. So Peter, of course, not a perfect man. Uh, we want to seek to practice what he preaches. <laughs> we don't uh, look at Peter's life and say, he lived a perfect life. No, he was a sinner just like you and me. Uh, God just used him to write Scripture. And here he says, honor all people. So undoubtedly, he had learned things in his life since then by failing just like you and me do. And our instruction from God is to honor everybody. The second one is to love Christians. So honor everybody, but then the second one is love the brotherhood. So this means that we uh, sacrificially love those who are in God's family with us. So you have this idea of respecting everybody, regardless of if they're Christians or not. And then you have this idea of agape loving those who are in the family of God. This reminds me of um, Galatians 6.10, which says, as far as it depends on you, um, no, no, that's the peace one, not Galatians 6.10, but what does Galatians 6.10 say before the, uh, I'm thinking of the second half of the verse. What does the first half of the verse say? Anybody got Galatians 6.10 in their head? (laughs) Seek to do good to everybody, but especially the household of God. I believe that's what it says. Um, Seek to do good to everyone. And then he follows it up with, especially those who are of the household of faith. Oh, there you go. <laughs> a memory verse for the men's class. Well, it sounds like our, men's need, our, men's <laughs> our men need to memorize it better. So, uh, all of us need to look at that one again. Do you have it in front of you, Dean? There we go. That's the one. 
So the same idea here. So when it says love the, love the brotherhood, does that mean that we hate everybody who's not a Christian? Well, no. But it does seem to be placing a priority there, right? Because you honor everybody, but then he puts the emphasis on love. And this is the word agape. There are different words for love in the New Testament. And this is the agape love, sacrificially love the brotherhood. That's our priority. Thirdly is fear God. So you, you think that one will come first, but here Peter says, honor everybody, love the brotherhood, and fear God. This is the word where we get phobia, but it's not that idea like, oh, I'm just so afraid of God, I can't think of God, or I won't be able to go to sleep at night or whatever, but it is the idea of extreme deep reverence for God. We are to have a holy fear of God, which means by implication you know, God's the only one who gets the fear word. We don't fear Christians. We don't fear everybody. We don't fear rulers. We fear God. Meaning, don't fear anybody else without first fearing God by understanding the world that He's created. Because here in a moment, uh, Peter's going to tell the servants to fear their masters, to serve them with fear, is what he says. Now, that doesn't mean, okay, I'm going to be more afraid of my earthly master than I am of my heavenly master. What it means is, knowing my heavenly master and fearing him first and understanding that he's the ultimate authority who has set up all kinds of other authorities in this world, I'm going to show proper respect to those authorities because that's showing respect to him. Just like we instruct our children to honor their parents, right? Uh, Teach that a lot, a lot, a lot in all of our homes. Um, Not just because we want them to do whatever we're saying in the moment. There is a deeper spiritual meaning there. By honoring us, they are honoring God. This is God's system. It's the way God set things up. And so we fear God first, and then we can submit to others in fear appropriately. If you start with submitting to others in fear without thinking of God, you're going to have a fear of man. And the Bible's very clear on that, isn't it? You're not to have fear of man. Uh, You are to fear God and God alone. And from that point forward, you can rightly respect your earthly masters. And then finally, the fourth statement is honor the king. So with all this in view, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, you can now rightly in your thinking submit yourself to every human institution, uh, knowing uh, these statements that Peter has made. Honor all people and honor the king. And there may be, of course, we can't like get inside of Peter's mind, but Peter may have been doing something kind of interesting in giving the rulers the same verb here as everybody, kind of bringing them into the realm of everybody else. Um, you were to honor all people and honor rulers. And he lists them last, too. Um, we can't get inside of Peter's mind to know if he was doing anything creatively there with the, the way he wrote that. But honor everybody, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king or the emperor, yours might say. So thoughts or questions on 17 before we move on. Okay, it's a good verse, isn't it? That's a good one to memorize. Four very short statements. So now let's look at verses 18 to 20 again. Would someone read that? I read it from the ESV earlier, and I imagine the NASB even varies quite a bit. So would someone read that? Uh, Whatever translation you got. How about... You read it in the NASB, Joseph, and then Rex, after that, you read it in the NLT, so we can get a 18 to 20. So go ahead, Joseph. No, we're in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses 18 to 20. All right. So, yeah, there's, uh, it's a 
the construct of this is kind of difficult in the original language, so hearing it in different translations is, is good. Uh, let's first talk about slavery and what Paul had in mind. Uh, the word that's found here for slave or servant is the Greek term for house slave or house servant. Uh, no, it's uh, the oikates. So the Greek word for house is oikos, and it's derived directly from that. So it's a house servant. So it's different than doulos. Um, when we think about what this is in, at that time, there are two ditches we need to avoid. So the first ditch is obviously thinking of 19th century American slavery. Okay? This wasn't American slavery where we stole people, put them on a boat, brought them over here, and because they were kidnapped and basically held hostage, they had to do what they were told, yada, yada, yada. So it's not that. But at the same time, we don't want to swing so far over and say, well, it's just like an employee-employer relationship. It's just like the people that get hired to work the orchards or whatever. And it's not that either, okay? Um, the way Wayne Grudem put it in his commentary was, um, we need an English word between slave and servant <laughs> because it's not quite a slave like we think of it, but servant is a little too soft. So it's somewhere in between uh, those two ideas. Uh, what was that? Uh, okay, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there, there, here are some things that we just need to have in mind. There was an ownership aspect. A lot of the people who were servants in this context were born into it. Their parents were servants and their grandparents were servants, even on the same property. And there was an ownership aspect where these house servants or house slaves, they didn't have economic freedom. They didn't have legal freedom. They were really controlled by their masters. Secondly, there was legislation that was out there that, in the Greco-Roman world that governed this. So it wasn't just like a free-for-all. There were laws about things. In certain places, perhaps, Old Testament law was appealed to and maintained. We know the Old Testament gives laws concerning slavery. The Old Testament doesn't ban slavery. The Old Testament says this is how it should look. And uh, God's law is holy and just and good. So you read through there and see, okay, this is how it is supposed to go. And, and of course, there's that provision in God's law that says at the end of X number of years, when a slave is free to go, if he wants to stay, let him stay, and he becomes a part of that family, which gives you an idea of how that relationship should be between the slave and that house, uh, that a slave would want to stay, okay? Um, so there's that, too, to consider. And then as we even see in our text tonight, we just have to know there were some cases where a servant, a slave, was in a house, serving, doing whatever he was doing, and it was real sweet, and it was great, and it was good. And then there were other cases when it was awful and terrible and nightmarish. That's what Peter presents, <laughs> I mean, uh, that there are those who are gentle who are masters, and then there are those who are totally unreasonable and harsh. So there were just different scenarios based on the different people who were involved. So we just have to realize that too. We can't say that it all looked the same. Here Peter is making reference to some masters who were good and gentle. So good and gentle slave masters existed. That's the testimony of Scripture. But then there were also harsh, unreasonable, wicked slave masters. And so knowing all of that, we enter into this section with verse 18 where Peter gives them a command from the beginning by the Holy Spirit that they are to submit to their masters or to be subject to their masters. Who can give me a good definition for what submission is? <laughs> what, is what does he mean by be subject to? What elements are involved there? 
Okay, good. Be willing to do, in this case, not just something, but what who tells you, what your master tells you, right? Be willing to do what your master tells you. Okay, any other elements you want to add to that? <laughs> okay, slaves, be a slave. <laughs> Diana? Uh, you should, yes. <laughs> well, actually, uh, later in this chapter, we'll find out that Lord is a better term. Or in the next chapter, <laughs> Lord, just like Sarah uh, called Abraham Lord. Yeah. We'll deal with that in a couple weeks. Um, so here's what I put for definition, uh, not far off from what uh, Lizzie said. To truly yield to the will and directives of another. So to submit means to truly yield to the will and directives of another. And I, that word truly is in there uh, for purpose. I think you said joyfully, right, Lizzie? Uh, to joy, joyfully do something, I think it's the same idea. To truly do it out of service to God um, and out of respect for the master. To truly yield to the will and directives of another. This word for submit comes up six times in this book. This is the second time. So we have four more after this. So kind of keep that definition in mind. Yeah, yeah, or truly, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, we don't want to conflate joy, joyful with happy, because there will be times when, I mean, all the time we submit, not happily, even like speed limit. I mean, Andy, what do you prefer the speed limits to be, right? <laughs> um, you prefer them. <laughs> so, so there are... Yeah. I'm glad you're thinking of the children, Andy. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there have been times in my life, especially there are certain moments where you want the speed limit to be higher, because it's not like you're going to the hospital, but you also really want to get somewhere really fast. Um, and we don't happily do it, but we do it recognizing that the law is put there by God. And so, so in that sense, I think joy... And uh, authenticity are kind of synonymous in that sense, in that when we submit, if we're doing it truly, we won't be in our hearts just complaining the whole time. Because that's not true submission, is it? True submission um, is maybe it doesn't make you happy, but at the same time you're recognizing that this is God's design for how the world works, and you're actually ultimately serving Him. So, Andy. Yes. Grumpy employees are usually bad employees. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pulling rank means something. Mm-hmm. Real consequences, yes. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, but if you're a Christian slave, you can do it joyfully. Yeah. And we're going to get into the application at the end of this because it really, even though this isn't employer-employee relationship, that's really the only place we can make real application to our lives since we're so far removed from slaves and masters. Um, it's kind of the closest we can get. And I have some application questions to think through, so save your thoughts <clears throat> on that. I hope we get some good chatter there. So um, to truly yield to the will and directives of another is the idea of submit. And Peter says to do this, 
regardless of the possible attitudes that the master might have. So run your eyes back over verses 18 to 20. Um, What are (laughs) some bad attitudes that a master might have according to um, this text? Irrational. Is that the word in, I think the NASB says unreasonable at the end of verse 18? Um, ESV says unjust. So you could say for the unjust, unreasonable. Cricket. Oh, crooked. <laughs> they said cricket. <laughs> yeah, crooked. Which is that in the legacy? Okay, yeah, that's interesting. So that's uh, the same word, right? The end of verse 18. That is actually, yeah, in the Greek, it is the word crooked. It's where we get our word scoliosis. It's the Greek word that is the base for where we get scoliosis. So you find it in um, the book of Acts, Peter calls uh, the generation crooked and perverse, a crooked and perverse generation. It can also mean severe, really harsh and severe. Okay, any other words in there? Yeah, well, it actually uses the word harsh. We can use that word. Yeah, unjust, unreasonable, harsh. I'll throw that word crooked up there too. What was that? Froward. Is, is that in the King James? Froward. Wow. So when we let Quinn's hair grow out and he's walking this way, we say he's going froward. That's all. <laughs> Boy, that was a stretch. Uh, thanks for laughing. Thanks for the sympathy laughs. <laughs> First thing that came to mind. Uh, okay. Um, good. All right. Um, I think that's pretty good. What about the attitudes that the Christian slave is supposed to have? Um, let's throw up some of those. The attitudes of the slave that they're supposed to have. What, are, what do we see there? Okay. So, yeah, I heard a couple there. So, the first one is an attitude of respect. They are to serve with respect or fear. They are also to serve patiently. They are to be patient. That's an interesting word. I think it's, what, verse 20 that comes up. Um, I also have this idea, and we're going to talk through all these, but bearing up under sorrow. Yes, and that's, that's really the word. Um, bearing up under sorrow. That's a very... That's a very interesting phrase. So, okay, so here you go. You kind of got in front of you now attitudes that the masters might have, and in response, the attitude that the slaves are to have as Christians. So, as we think about um, these masters that are in the wrong, it says in verse 18 the ones, not only the ones who are good and gentle, but the ones who are unjust. So, unjust is contrasted with good and gentle. That means they're evil, they're not kind. It's the opposite of what the Christian is supposed to be. When you think of that word uh, gentle, you see the word gentle there in verse 18? It comes up a lot of times in the New Testament as instructions for Christians. In James chapter 3, it says the wisdom from above is first pure, and then it's also gentle. So wisdom from above is gentle. And these masters, of course, who are not saved, don't have access to that wisdom, and so they're not going to display any type of gentle wisdom. We also have a qualification for the elders in the church is to be gentle. So those who rule in the church are to do so with gentleness. And, of course, these slave masters 
who are lost, who don't know God, well, a lot of them are going to not display that gentleness. And then there's another one I want you to see. Uh, It's for all Christians. Go back just a few pages to the book of Titus, back on the other side of Hebrews. Titus chapter 3. And would someone read verses 1 and 2? Titus 3, verses 1 and 2. Once, you, once somebody gets it, just go ahead and read it. <clears throat> All right. This really goes well with what we're reading in First Peter. Uh, Titus, who's uh, establishing elders in the cities in Crete, he is to remind the Christians to be submissive to rulers and authorities, same theme as what we're, where we are in First Peter, to be obedient, same theme as where we are in First Peter, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. It sounds a lot like this, doesn't it? Honor everybody, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the, the emperor. But one of the things that all Christians are supposed to do, regardless of what's going on in their culture, is to be gentle. And so that's a, a direct contrast with some slave masters who are the opposite of gentle. Those slaves are still to respond with gentleness. Um, just a, a real contrast between the non-Christian approach, the worldly approach, and then what God called us to do as Christians. So they're evil, not patient, not kind, and they're unreasonable, it says, disregarding justice, and they treat the slaves harshly, some of them do. That is in, uh, again, verse 20. Um, there are some who are treated harshly. And that, that word just means beaten. It's the same word for just being beaten. Uh, Jesus was treated harshly when He went through His mock trial. Um, Paul, of course, was treated harshly on many occasions. Peter was treated harshly on many occasions in the book of Acts by their governments. And here it's, of course, in the slave and master relationship, and many of those unreasonable masters would beat them as punishment harshly. So, that's the attitude of masters and the attitude of Christians who happen to be slaves are to have, they're to have an attitude of submission and respect first uh, in relationship to their slave owners, to their masters. I like the way Wayne Grudem described this attitude of submission. He said, a healthy desire to avoid their displeasure. So you're to have a healthy desire, and I like the he put the word healthy in there because it's to be balanced, of course, with what God says versus what they say. A healthy desire to avoid their displeasure. And for any of you who have worked as Christians with people who were not Christians, who were perhaps your bosses, you know what that means. A healthy desire to avoid their displeasure. Um, healthy, healthy desire. And they are called to also bear up under their sorrows. And the word for sorrows there has to do with the grief you experience immaterially. So you may be beaten physically, but you're dealing with things for a very long time, days, weeks, months, years, that are on the inside. Sorrows, griefs, things that are in your heart. And the Christian slave is to endure with those sorrows. That's part of the marching orders for the Christian servant to patiently endure. If you've seen in my office, I have a yellow sign with a hand-painted Greek word on it. It's the word hupomeno, which is the word that's found here 
to patiently endure. Um, it means to bear up under. That's what the word literally means. It's made of two Greek words, minnow, which means to abide, and the word that comes before it, hupa, it's a preposition that means under, means to abide under. That's what that word means. So even under your sorrows, you are to abide patiently, to endure, to be unmoved as that trial just covers you. That's what the slave is called to do. So even though they have this attitude as a Christian, you're going to have this attitude because of who you are as an obedient child of Christ, member of a church, holy priesthood, a living stone. Diana. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah, um, and we, we find out in Philippians 2 that it is God who is in us, willing and working. The Holy Spirit in us, bearing fruit through us. And so we are to yield to the Spirit. Submit to the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit as He works in us to bring about these things. It's His work through us. Andy. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, there are kind of endless applications of just verse 17. <laughs> uh, it's a catch-all verse that basically applies to all the other things Peter's going to say. Other thoughts? Yes. <laughs> you didn't cry? Oh, my. That was a different Diana. <laughs> oh, there you go. Nice. Oh, yeah. I'll do it. It was like uh, they were vampires, and that was garlic. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, and, and it, is, it is interesting, uh, especially if you're someplace back east, that there is kind of a respect there for um, Christianity, you know, even from the culture, even from colorful people who make colorful remarks, almost like a fear or something of, of that. So, yeah, that, good job. Way to silence them without a word even. <laughs> um, we also see in this text that there are two ways that those slaves could suffer, and God is pleased with one, but not so much the other. Um, verse 19, this is a gracious thing, or yours might say commendable, this is something commendable, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. In verse 20, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So that, I don't really like the way the ESV is phrased uh, there. But there are two types of suffering basically set forth here, especially in verse 20. Uh, one is the getting what you deserve type of punishment, where, yeah, you should have been beaten because you were doing something that required a beating. And the second is you were doing right, you were doing good, and you were unjustly beaten. You were unjustly punished. So, the idea here is that some would get in trouble with their masters and then be beaten for it, and they would endure it, perhaps out of pride. Um, I saw one commentary that was talking about uh, there were perhaps measures of pride that slaves would take about, do you notice how I didn't even make a noise when he beat me? Uh, or whatever, you know, 
who's the toughest slave type thing. And that's human nature. Whatever groups there are, there's going to be pride and competition in, in that, even in something like slavery. Um, that doesn't impress God. Number one, you deserved it. Number two, he's not impressed with your pride, okay? If that's the sense that, that that's being expressed in. But the other type of suffering is when you're enduring injustice, where you're, you've got a master that's like this, and you were in the right. You were doing what was right. And you were beaten for it. Well, when you suffer under that, knowing that you don't deserve it, but you do it patiently with endurance, bearing up under sorrow with an attitude of respect even through it, that's a commendable thing, Scripture says. That's what's commendable. First one, not so much. But the second one, it pleases the Lord. That type of attitude pleases the Lord. And that's exactly where Peter goes. Yeah, if you look down at the verses that follow, starting at verse 21, for th- to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. That's exactly where Peter goes. Yep. Good. We see in uh, other places in Scripture, in James chapter 4, that God gives grace to the who? God gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble. And in Hebrews 4, we come boldly to the throne of grace that we might find what? You remember what it says? Mercy and grace to help in time of need. And so the Christian attitude here is to be humble, have an attitude of respect toward the authority structures God has put in place, even when we're suffering unjustly, to do it with that type of attitude which is a humble attitude, and to continually go before God's throne because He gives you what you need to make it through. It's, he gives you grace and mercy from His throne, it says, to help in the time of need. It helps. It's not just like this idea or this um, really far-off concept that, you know, maybe there's an effect, maybe there isn't. God's promise is that there's grace and mercy to help you in your time of need. So for the Christian, we have these promises that we hold on to as we suffer that God is good, God is faithful, God is constant, no matter if we've got a good master or bad master, or if we have a master who's bipolar, who one day he's a great, kind, gentle guy. We know a few people like this. They're kind and gentle. And then the next day, what happened to Mr. Reasonable? You're, today you're Mr. Unreasonable. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it could be the next minute, right? Uh, so, Yeah. But we are to remain constant because we are God's children, and we are to be holy for He is holy. We're to follow in the footsteps of our Savior. We are to be like our Father, and He gives us the grace and mercy that we need to help in time of need. So suffering means suffering rightly means that we're looking at God. We're not looking at our circumstances, and we're certainly not looking to imitate those who are creating the circumstances. We're not fighting fire with fire. We're not returning evil with evil. But we're looking to God while we go through the difficulty, and God does respond, doesn't He? He helps us through these things. Okay? So thoughts on that before we get into some application questions. Thoughts on the text. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. And then, you know, like we've been studying in... uh, 1 Corinthians in the Sunday morning sermon series, we have lots of examples in the Old Testament of guys who totally struck out too. (laughs) Um, These were examples for you to learn from how they didn't do well 
and we have obviously a lot more of those in the Old Testament. Um, but yeah, we are to keep our eyes fixed on God through it all. Yeah. Okay. Diana. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he just kind of flows the argument here. I mean, verse 13 starts with the same idea, be subject, it's the same word, to every human institution talking about governments. So slaves be subject to masters. I mean, it's the same concept. And we won't be able to do that rightly if we lose sight of this. <laughs> if we lose sight of this, we just won't. And so our encouragement is to honor all people in fear of God while loving the brotherhood and having the right attitude that God gives us, um, both in the employee-employer relationship, in the citizen and government relationship, and as we'll see in chapter 3, in the husband and wife relationship. Okay? It applies across the board. Well, let's ask some questions, uh, answer some questions here about um, how we can apply this to work-type scenarios, uh, because again, this is the closest application that we can make from this, because uh, I don't think any of you own slaves. Show of hands? No. <laughs> and I don't think any of you are slaves, so uh, in the sense that Peter's talking about. So let's, uh, let's talk about this. What are some worldly ways of going about work? We've just described here the right attitude that slaves are to have. What are some worldly attitudes that some employees might have? Let's get that out on the table. Okay, complaining and grumbling about those who are above uh, because sometimes, you know, rightly you see things that are wrong. Other times it's just bad attitude, you know. So a lot of times it's hard to know and you're just venting. So, yeah, good. What else? Mm, gossip, yes, very much so. Uh-huh. Um, gossip is not a Christian way of going about business, definitely a worldly way of going about business. What else? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They sign up for it, and then they look to uh, roast them on social media or wherever else. Mm-hmm. Good. Yep. Not being very honorable. There's one in Scripture that we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, turn back to Ephesians with me. Ephesians 6, verses 5 to 8. I think you'll find that this passage also really mirrors what we're looking at in 1 Peter 2. Ephesians 6, let someone read verses 5 to 8. Nah, go ahead and read 5 to 9. Who's got it? Okay. All right. So, uh, it is important to note that in Scripture we don't just get instructions to slaves. You get instructions to masters too. This isn't the only text there. But what's a wrong attitude of a slave, uh, a wrong way of going about work that's mentioned here in this passage? High service, yeah. And we all know what this is like. I worked in a lot of grocery stores. Uh, I never worked in fast food or any type of restaurant or anything, but I worked in four or five grocery stores. And uh, yeah, you're standing there, especially in the age of technology, maybe 
uh, you know, you're supposed to be straightening up a shelf and you got your cell phone in the shelf or whatever and you're talking to somebody and, oh, here comes the boss, you drop it and, oop, I'm just fixing the shelf. Eye service, right? Or, uh, you know, you're leaning on something in the back, you're talking to somebody, but you got something in your hand that makes it look like you're working. So as soon as you hear footsteps or a door open, whoop, here I am, I got this thing, I got a clipboard, you know, I'm checking things. Um, that's eye service, men pleasers. And slaves are not to go about their business that way, but that is a worldly way of going about work. If you're an employee, that's something that you could do, which isn't honorable, it's not respectable, it's not the way a Christian should work. A scenario or a confession? Oh, great. <laughs> Maybe I should stop being disobedient so we can see that I'm obedient. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I've got a similar thing where I, um, I've covenanted with myself that if I'm speeding and I see a, a police officer who's parked looking at people's speeds, that I won't slow down. That'll just keep going the way I was going. Uh, most of the time, I'm pretty good about doing that. Not all, all the time, depending on how much I'm speeding. <laughs> but there are times where I'm going a little over. If I'm, if I'm going five over and I see a cop up there, I'll just keep going five over as I go by him. I've never been pulled over for speeding in my whole life still. So um, maybe it's because I have a Bible verse on the back of my car now. I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> there you go. You know, I've thought about this too, that, that sticker that, you know, that's got the Bible verse on it. I've heard multiple people say, I don't want to put that on my car because what if I get pulled over? But the verse says you don't have righteousness. You're just proving the verse. I, don't, I can't save myself. I'm pull, getting pulled over for breaking the law. So, yeah. Um, well, okay, here it is, Lizzie. So if you've been told not to do something, you shouldn't do it. Now, if now, there's also a letter of the law versus spirit of the law thing that goes on all the time with all kinds of things. And so maybe it's, okay, we put that in there to discourage excessive use. Maybe you end up talking to whoever your boss is, and, and they're like, yeah, it's not a big deal if you check it from time to time like you're doing. It's not, not a big deal at all. And if that's the case, then just do whatever you've been told is okay to do. But it seems like maybe there's a guilty conscience issue going on, and you know what you should be doing, so... Yeah. And we, boy, we're taking a long time on the first one. Andy, and then we'll, we got to get to, I've got three more. Can't wait to find out what he was really doing. Whoops. Oh, Wow. Wow, wow. That's like eye service. Yeah, that's, that's something, yeah. Uh-huh, okay. 
Well, we can, we can think of many, um, many examples of worldly ways of going about work, whether it was someone else or ourselves, right? We've all done it, and we've all witnessed it, too. So now let's, um, let's answer this question, too. Again, thinking about the world, in what ways would you expect the lost to respond to unjust treatment at work? Say, taking these type of things, someone who's a boss, manager, whatever, how would you expect the lost to respond to this type of authority? Yeah, if we, if we let Dean talk, he could give us like two hours worth of examples with this stuff. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sabotaging another. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Yeah, you don't have to think of two or have to think very long because, yeah, you've got it. Uh, now, think of this and give me some answers. What is the impact of a Christian response to unjust treatment at work. So we've already seen, okay, we just listed off what the world typically would do, what lost people would typically do. Here's what the Christian is supposed to do. What's the impact of that in contrast to perhaps what people might expect? I mean, you, you see someone with an unjust boss at work and you think, well, I know how this is going to go. You don't respond this way or that way. What's the impact when that person responds as a Christian with the right attitude, with a godly attitude? What kind of impact? Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. Confounds. Yeah. Hmm. Say that again. Oh, you've been told. Hmm. Yeah, people, yeah, when he didn't... uh, do what perhaps you would have done a few years ago. Yeah, now you're fake. Well, now you're more authentic than ever. They just don't know. Wow. Yeah, it kind of goes back to that Romans 12 section, right? The heaping burning coals on their head type of thing. When you're not returning evil for evil, but returning good, giving a blessing instead. Yeah. And Peter's going to get into that too. Putting your Bible on your desk. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Good. And so it, and it, it does have a major impact when you take your faith and truly, actually, openly, transparently apply it to your context at work. That makes a big difference, doesn't it? It makes an impact, especially in a culture um, where you don't really hear, see, experience true gospel living, right? Makes a difference. Um, And then lastly, when you experience harsh and unreasonable treatment by a quote-unquote master, so you can put in your mind whatever that is, what should be your priorities as you think about how to respond? When you experience harsh and unreasonable treatment by a master, what should be your priorities as you think about how to respond? So, trying to figure out how you should respond to this, well, what are your just rule of thumb priorities as you think? Okay, prayer, good. Okay, excellence. Could you elaborate on what kind of excellence? So like maintaining this aspect, the respect aspect? Faithful. Okay, yeah, to, to remain as a, to faithful to what you've said you would do as an employee. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, to be maintain respect. That's good. What else? Pro-
priorities? What are your priorities as you think about how to respond? Because all the details are going to be different, right? You might quit your job. You might end up filing a complaint with HR or something. You might not say anything. But what, what are your priorities going to be? Yeah, okay. That's probably good. Uh, okay. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The taking a day thing uh, reminds me of something I was told. A, a rule of thumb for pastors is you're never allowed to quit on a Monday. So, the Monday low. Wait till Tuesday, and you might feel better on Tuesday. <laughs> Lizzie? No, it's, no, it's not that. Um, it's... Yeah. Well, Andy, why don't you elaborate on what you were thinking when you said that? Because you weren't thinking of, okay, there's a legitimate issue that needs to be reported. You were thinking probably more of the feeling side of it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the forward button is right there and can be clicked very easily. Yeah, that's right. Well, you don't look juvenile, if that makes you feel any better. So the concepts, concepts I'm looking for is what happens between when you put it in the draft folder to where you look at it again. What are the things that you're thinking about and doing? Praying, taking time. I haven't heard anybody say get counsel, but counsel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and then yeah, and so then after all that, Lizzie, I mean, a legitimate issue. You might come back and say, "Well, these things still have to be addressed," but I'm not going to have all that other stuff around it that would actually be detrimental to progress. You know, like using this harsh language, making this dig at that person or whatever. I'm going to strip all that back and be as respectable as possible and loving as possible to honor them, but to also confront them on this issue. And we do need time and counsel and prayer and all that stuff to be able to do something like that. So, so start, start fresh yeah. later, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's good practice, yeah. Okay, well, good. Hopefully that gives you some things to think about. But I'm going to go ahead and close us in prayer now unless there are any other closing thoughts, more encouragements. Yeah. 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 Right. Well, yeah, and we have to always keep in mind as Christians, we are ambassadors for Christ. Even at work, you're not, it's not you're an ambassador for Christ unless you're on the clock. It's the whole time. Joseph, you want to close us in prayer?